0: This is an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC
1: News correspondent Aaron Katursky. If there was any worry the cure for coronavirus may be worse than the disease, new projections offer a worrisome prognosis. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington said the nation's coronavirus death toll could approach 135,000 by August, as more states relax restrictions and more Americans move around. There's this telling bit from FEMA. Consumer demand for gasoline on May 2nd, this past Saturday, was up nearly 2% from the prior week. That's the highest Saturday demand in more than a month. Dr. Richard Besser at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and our former chief health and medical editor here at ABC News is with us now. 38 states are relaxing restrictions. Shouldn't that be good news? Well, you know, Aaron, it's not good news because
2: we don't have the pieces in place that from a public health standpoint you'd want to see in order to be able to to open the economy slowly, carefully, and and, and safely. And, you know, we would all like to get people back to work. Everyone wants to get back back to work. People are suffering because the economy has, has been shut down to such a great extent. But if we don't have the public health pieces in place, uh, restarting the economy too soon is going to put us right back into the situation we were in before, where in many places, healthcare system was was overwhelmed and people were unable to get the treatment that they needed for COVID infection.
1: And some of the new statistical models are suggesting that being hasty could lead to a significant amount of death.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I always take models with a with a grain of salt. But what they're what they're pointing out, and I think rightfully so. Is that if we go too fast, the outcome could be could be really dire. But these, you know, these are predictive models, and as a nation, we have a decision to make: uh, do we want to follow that curve, or do we want to uh, go slowly? Do we want to take the social distancing measures into account so that what is being predicted doesn't necessarily become our future? It's it's not set in stone that we have to see those high numbers of, of, of people dying, we could, we could go down a different path.
1: Who are the ones that are going to suffer the most down the path that we're on?
2: Yeah, if you look at, at who's been hit so far, it's not surprising. It's the same groups of people who before COVID uh, were suffering worse life, life outcomes. Uh, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we funded uh, life expectancy maps for every census track in, in America. Uh, right now, I'm sitting in Princeton, New Jersey, and a child born here has a life expectancy of 87 years. Um, I volunteer as a pediatrician in Trenton, New Jersey, which is in the same county, Mercer County. It's our state capital. It's It's 15 miles down the road, and a child born right by my clinic has a life expectancy of 73 years. So 15-mile difference and a 14-year difference in life expectancy. Coming into a pandemic where, where some people are finding, you know, hunkering down at home to be very inconvenient and something that they would rather not do, and other people are in a situation where they're having to make a life or death decision between going out and earning money so they can put food on the table and pay the rent, or staying home to reduce the risk to themselves, their family, and their community. And the way this is playing out, you see very high rates of death, hospitalization among black Americans, Latino Americans, Native Americans. It's not surprising. You see very high percentages of people in those groups who are frontline essential workers, whether they're working in healthcare or law enforcement or food production. So they are, are not working remotely. Very low percentages are able to work remotely they're going out to work they are getting exposed or they're at higher risk of getting exposed and not only that when they're exposed the advice they get is go home you know keep to your own room keep away from other people in the, in the household well who's able to do that you know many people in suburbia can do that but people living in close quarters in in most of our cities what they're being told to do is go home and expose the rest of your family. And there you may see elder, uh, elderly relatives, people with underlying medical conditions. This is not hitting all groups of people the same way. It was predicted going in, and it's because of how we, we value people in our society.
1: So marginalized before the pandemic, marginalized as the country starts to perhaps come out of the pandemic.
2: You know, Marginalized going in, marginalized now, you know, I don't think we're on our way out of this pandemic, but I I would, what I would say is continuing to be marginalized as governors are thinking about opening, opening up the economy, uh, the risk of exposure will will go up. And, you know, as I I reflect back to the years I spent at CDC, I, I spent four of those years in charge of emergency preparedness and response. And, you know, I have to be honest that we did not spend a lot of time talking about who is able to follow the recommendations that we're putting out and who cannot and why. It's don't ride public transport. You know, go in your car to see your health care provider. Well, who, who can do that? Um, and 28 million people in America don't have a health care provider because we don't have universal health care. So, you know, who is able to do that? And if you're infected or think you've been infected, go home and self-isolate. Other countries are doing it differently. There are a number of countries that provide hotel rooms, dormitory space, food, medications, so that everyone in society is able to take the steps to reduce the risk for themselves and their families. We just aren't doing that. And what does it say about our society?
1: Dr. Richard Besser from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Where businesses are allowed to reopen under new rules, it has not necessarily been easy. They are allowed to open, but with no surety, it makes economic or health sense to do so. Rich Clark owns Hugo's Oyster Bar in Roswell and CNS Seafood in Vining's, Georgia. You've been open now what a week. How's it been?
3: Uh, About as expected. Um, You know, we, the guidelines, you know, social distancing six feet apart, no more than six people in a group. Uh, no more than 10 people per 500 square feet, um, which roughly was around 75 people per, per shift is what we could do with the way that we're seated. So we limited that for the first half of the week to 50 just to make sure that we'll be safe. All the employees wear masks, uh, hand sanitizers. Um, so those were, were the issues that we had. So I feel that we handled that pretty well. The, the first day... The difficulties was actually disinfecting the tables, sanitizing the tables correctly, because it's no longer do you have to just wipe down a tabletop in the booth. Now you have to wipe down the ledges, and you have to use a, the disinfectant, and the floor, and the chair, and everything that goes along with it. Uh, the second thing was, you know, the the cocktails, because there are no no longer any drink stirrers. you know. So we have to stir the cocktail for people. You have to get a, you know, gin and tonic or or you know whatever you know we got we have to stir it for and put the lime in use gloves
1: with all that you have to do that's different than you did before is it worth it to be open like this
3: well yes actually it is um, for the next couple of months
1: can you make any money with only fifty people at a time or seventy five
3: well we, yes actually we can uh, because you have to, you know we we were we were way out ahead for the PPP money you know we've kept our people on so labor isn't an issue. And rent and utilities aren't an issue. Now in two months, that's a whole nother ball ballgame. So right now, yes. And the numbers actually, we're about 25% first week down from last year. So the numbers really, the sales, I mean, that's a bad number. But I've been through the we recession. We had one restaurant, we went through the recession. And these numbers are actually better. These sales numbers right now, first week, are better than they were during the recession.
1: Are you having any trouble with supply?
3: A little bit. And they say it's going to get worse uh, because we're seafood, highly perishable. Oysters were a little bit difficult. We only had one supplier out of four that we used that could get them because the boats aren't going back. And uh, for, it's my understanding that uh, some of my wholesalers are having problems getting people to come back to work.
1: Rich Clark at Hugo's Oyster Bar in Roswell, Georgia. Even as he is open, there are other states still under restriction. Connecticut today became the 47th state to close school for the remainder of the year. Coming up, Dr. Jennifer Ashton is going to examine a new mysterious illness affecting children and its possible connection to the coronavirus. We're also going to look at two industries that are being impacted by the lockdown, movie theaters and summer camps. Stay with us. I'm Aaron Katursky. You're listening to an ABC News special. This ABC News special, COVID-19, what you
0: need to know, continues after this. Listening to an ABC News special, COVID 19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent, Amy Robach.
4: With me, as always, is ABC Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. And Dr. Ashton, let's talk about children. This was a headline today on COVID 19 right here in New York City. We know that 15 children, many
5: of whom had the coronavirus, have now been struck with some mysterious illness. What do we know about it? Well, this is really the big news on the last 24 to 48 hours, Amy. The NIH just announced they're doing a big study to do a deeper dive on COVID-19 and its effect on kids. But here's what we know right now. At baseline, we know that this age group is at greater risk for other viral respiratory illnesses. We talk about it with influenza, for example, all the time. With COVID-19, however, they tend to make up less than 3% of overall confirmed cases. Now, again, if there are more cases, that that number may be less or might be more. And also, luckily, in the pediatric age group, deaths are uncommon. They're not zero, but they're uncommon or rare. So that's some good news. And
4: speaking to that, because of the confirmed cases, we've been hearing this from the beginning, it seems that children overwhelmingly aren't getting very sick from COVID-19. What do we still need to learn? Well,
5: there are two kind of opposing theories, Amy. One is it's unclear if kids are actually not becoming infected with the virus or if they're becoming infected, but they're just not showing symptoms. Both of those are kind of on the table right now. And obviously also the other big theory is if they're getting infected, could they just be a vector? Could they be really important in passing or spreading this virus to other people? And as we mentioned, many of the kids who developed this mysterious illness did test positive for coronavirus. But what don't we know right now? Well, look, as we learn more, this mysterious illness, some of them, as you said, is occurring in a child who's been confirmed positive. We don't know if this is related to COVID-19 or if this is completely new. And we also don't know why, in general, as a massive population, children are really not showing the classic symptoms of COVID-19. So there is a lot that is still being studied. There's a lot that's still being researched, and there's a lot we still don't know. All right. And we will be checking in with you in just you a bit. Bet. In the meantime, we turn out to
4: ABC's Kira Phillips, who's in Washington, D.C., with all the latest headlines for us. Hi, Amy. Here's some of
6: the stories that we're working on right now. The frontline fight. Some states where social distancing rules are now being relaxed are still experiencing an increase in the number of COVID-19 cases, not a decrease. Even as states such as Georgia, Tennessee, Indiana, and Kansas start to relax rules and slowly reopen, this virus is still a threat on the rise. And we're learning of a holdup on some $8 billion in aid for Native American tribes. Those funds from the CARES Act due to the Navajo Nation, one of the worst hit populations, is still being held up in litigation with the Trump administration. The cruise industry gets ready to set sail again. Norwegian Cruise Line saying in a statement it hopes to get passengers on board again beginning in early July. But for now, it will continue its voluntary suspension through
4: the end of June. Well, it took longer for the Midwest to feel the effects of the COVID pandemic, but they have undoubtedly been hit hard, becoming some of the fastest growing outbreak states now. And as lockdown mandates are being lifted, some people are worrying it's just too soon. So joining us now is Mayor of Des Moines, Iowa, Frank County. Mayor County, thanks for being with us. And I know the governor there relaxing restrictions, but never issued a stay at home order. Is it too soon to open back up?
7: Well, that's a good question. They, they are. Uh, we've got 99 counties in the state of Iowa, and 22 remain under uh, restrictions. 77, the governor's announced that she's opening up. Generally, the 22 are where the uh, larger urban areas are in our state, and we're still seeing significant uh, rises in, in the spread of, of the coronavirus.
4: That said, when do you think? When do you plan on Des Moines reopening? What's your approach then to loosening these restrictions?
7: That's going to probably be dictated by the medical data. Uh, we saw yesterday, for instance, 185 new test positive, and uh, which brings us to about 1661. The uh, expansion over the last week has been very, very significant. The health and well-being of our citizens really is the number one piece. Our industry here in in Des Moines, you know, it's government, it's insurance, it's financial, it's medical, it's legal. A lot of people look at Iowa and say, think it's uh, all agriculture, but uh, at least in Des Moines, the capital city, those are the the industries that are really driving us. Uh, A lot of those people can work from home, so they are. Uh, We're trying to do the best we can to get everybody to certainly maintain social distancing, work from home if you can, only go out if necessary, stay home, stay healthy. That's the order that, that I put down. However, the governor's order is the one that, that takes precedence because uh, she has the legal authority. She has dictated that uh, local government does not. So we're we're putting out an urgent message to our citizens to meet those requirements as best we can.
4: Right. And and certainly health is your number one goal in the safety of your citizens. But obviously, there are big financial impacts to this as well. So as a city, what are you doing? What can you be doing to help those businesses in Des Moines stay afloat?
7: We have, are working with our uh, Chamber of Commerce, with the city, with the county. We're putting together packages to try to support our, our businesses, especially the, the small ones, the, the insurance and, and the government, they continue to go on. But we, we need to, uh, to do that. The number one thing is we think about it and we think about the health of businesses. We certainly want to support that. But for me, the number one thing is the health and well-being of our citizens. Hopefully the recovery uh, the economy will come. But if you don't have your health and you don't have your life, it doesn't matter. So that's number one. We're going to deal with that first and make sure that we have that protected. And we see a flattening of the curve on this uh, spread. And uh, until we see that, uh, I'm going to be hesitant to, to want to open everything up.
4: Thank you so much, Mayor Frank County. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. coronavirus has had a substantial impact on the film industry, especially movie theaters. Like most non-essential businesses, movie theaters were forced to close their doors in mid-March, leaving them with damaging financial problems. But now Georgia and Texas are permitting movie theaters to reopen under certain conditions. Joining us now to update us on where the movie theater business currently stands is John Fithian, president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners. Thanks for being with us today, John. And your association represents operators of more than 35,000 movie screens across the country. Give us some perspective here. Just how devastating has this pandemic been on your members?
8: Well, in 120 years of movies being in our cinemas, we've never had to shut down like this before. We've been through wars uh, with natural disasters, depressions. But this pandemic shut us down entirely all across the country and indeed all across the world. And so we went from an industry making $40 billion a year to zero overnight. So it's been very, very challenging, both for our operators and for our employees.
4: What is the timeline for movie theaters across the country to open back up? And are your members even opening up in states that now allow them? Georgia, Texas, we mentioned.
8: Right, two really good questions. So for the timeline, we are working very closely with governors, with health officials, with the CDC, on taking the appropriate steps to open up carefully and safely And that depends on the regions of the country and the prevalence of the virus. So the time frame is probably we're up and running by mid to late June with some very big movies coming out in July. The early openings in Texas and Georgia are just a handful of cinemas in very limited locations. And we're watching those locations very closely to see how they accommodate the social distancing requirements and the other safety protocols as we begin to slowly and carefully ramp up toward July.
4: The big question is safety. How will movie theaters keep their customers safe?
8: Right, so we've got a whole task force of experts working on that exact question uh, all the time. And we're looking at social distancing protocols. We're looking at reduced capacities in auditoriums. We're looking at alternating our show time so that we reduce the size of the crowds in the lobbies. And of course, social distancing as people go to pick up their concessions as little human touch as possible, advanced ticketing, so that we can really get people into a safe environment where they can still enjoy the movies while taking care of their health.
4: All right. Well, there is a lot to be done, but certainly everyone is hopeful that it will happen soon and safely. John, thank you so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. We wish you the best.
8: My pleasure. Thank you.
4: And when we come back, Dr. Jen is here with answers to your coronavirus questions. And then the splendors of summer camp for the nation's children. Will it be on or off the table this year for many American families? We're going to find out next.
0: This ABC News special continues after this.
9: Life feels more stressful these days. Stores are empty. Travel is on pause. Work is uncertain. With social distancing, we need support now more than ever. Talkspace Online Therapy gives you the support you deserve on a schedule that works for you. We all need to talk through life's challenges. Talkspace offers the support we deserve at a price we can afford. Match with your perfect therapist and get $100 off your first month with promo code CALM. Sign up at Talkspace.com or download the app. Don't forget to use promo code CALM for $100 off your first month.
0: There's not a person in America who hasn't been impacted in some way by the coronavirus pandemic. But in every community, there are pockets of people who are suiting up every day.
10: This is my Monday.
11: It's the last day of a seven day stretch.
0: These are America's essential workers, the people who are keeping our world moving. I'm
2: on my way to drop off a bag of produce for
6: one of our tenants.
0: And now in a new podcast from ABC News, you're gonna hear from them in their own words.
8: But there's always a risk that I could bring this home to my kids or my husband or my parents.
0: (sighs) This is The Essentials, Inside the Curve. Listen on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: Well, it's time now to take a good look at a lot of your medical questions that have been pouring in for our Dr. Jen Ashton. So Dr. Jen joining us now, and we'll get straight to the first question. Originally, the recommendation was to postpone elective procedures, yet some offices are reopening. Is it safe to go for these procedures?
5: Well, when you talk about medically safe, I can assure you, because this is going on here and I have a practice, these facilities are taking unprecedented steps to safeguard their patients and their staff, and, and so things will look different other places are really following the guidelines of the state governors, whether or not they can open to do these more elective procedures, surgeries, tests, and so forth. So again, you do want to check with that location. You want to check with that provider and you should think about, you know, what am I going for? Is it something that can wait maybe a month or two because we don't want to overburden our healthcare system? Or is it something that you really just, you need to check off your list and and get it done now?
4: Good advice there. Next question. Do we know if mosquitoes can spread the virus.
5: Right now, Amy, there is zero indication that this is a bloodborne virus. We do know that mosquitoes spread a lot of other viruses, West Nile, Zika, the list goes on and on. Um, But again, right now, no evidence, the bright lining here, that COVID-19 is spread uh, via blood or mosquitoes. All right. Next question. Can you explain the specific
4: science on why some think a warmer climate will halt the spread of the virus?
5: Well, look, this is a really interesting topic because there are so many factors involved. It's not just the temperature. It's the humidity. It's air vectors and and breezes and how the viral particles move. And it's also human behavior. Remember, Mm -hmm. we do different things when the weather is warmer than we do in the middle of the winter all of those are unknown and when you hear data about the ability of this virus to survive remember that is almost always in a laboratory setting so that's in an ideal situation if you will or laboratory setting it's not real life it's not realistic so only time will tell what happens here in the summertime
4: all right a lot of questions surrounding this next question based on recent news headlines is there any evidence that this virus
5: is man made I have to tell you something, Amy. On February 3rd, I was at the NIH. I was touring the vaccine development lab with Dr. Anthony Fauci. I asked him this question verbatim, on February 3rd, his answer was no. People were looking at that. They weren't in denial. But remember, the DNA sequence of this virus was publicly made available very early on. And every time something is tested, they're comparing it. They're looking for clues. And there's over 90% similarity between the DNA fingerprint of this virus and that that comes from bats. So right now, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, no evidence of that at all. Okay. Dr. Jen Ashton, we
4: appreciate those answers. And you can submit your questions to Dr. Jen on her Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton. Well, as the school year winds down, summer camps across the nation are trying to figure out ways to still operate safely during the coronavirus pandemic, and some programs are already pulling the plug on those plans. And here with more on whether camps will be open this summer is the executive director of the American Camp Association of New York and New Jersey, Susie Lupert. Susie, thanks for being with us. And First, just explain for people who might not be aware why summer camp is so essential for a lot of families.
6: Yeah. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, especially during this time, we do feel now more than ever, children are going to need summer camp. First of all, most critically, parents are going to have to get back to work. If the economy is going to be reopening in phases throughout the country, parents have to be able to have their kids somewhere, right? So summer camp provides that opportunity of just basic childcare.
4: Do you see camps opening for summer 2020? And is there a distinct, can we distinguish between day camps and sleepaway camps?
6: Yeah, we are working you know, furiously, as you can imagine, to try to determine if camps can open safely. We're waiting for guidance from the states to tell us whether or not they're gonna be permitting camps to run. And then beyond that, the American Camp Association is working with an independent firm of uh, medical experts and the American uh, Association of Pediatrics. And we're also working with the CDC to figure out these guidelines. How can we gather children safely this summer? There's obviously an advantage to being outdoors. But we're looking at group sizes. We're looking at once children are at a camp, you know, really kind of keeping them there. So no trips, not allowing outside visitors. How do we screen children when they come into the camp? All of those things. The most important thing is, can we do this safely? And, you know, can camps operate in that environment?
4: And do you see camp counselors and children as almost a must going through these vigorous, rigorous health screenings before they would be able or be allowed to get into these camps?
6: Yeah, you know, obviously we are hopeful that there will be some advancements in rapid testing as we go through the next six to eight weeks and beyond that. You know, the CDC has already started to release guidelines that they could see for day camps. And those are camps that, you know, a child goes through to during the day, does not stay overnight. Um, And what we're learning through those is that. Uh, certainly, there needs to be some sort of screening, but we're not quite sure what that's going to look like at this point.
4: All right. If camps do not open, do you see the curriculum moving towards a virtual atmosphere? How would you do that?
6: Yeah, I mean, similar to schools, you know, camps are part of a child's whole education. So, certainly, I mean, camps are already uh, for their campers that were, you know, attending last summer. Some camps are already moving to virtual programming, they're doing virtual campfires, they're doing sing-alongs, uh, they're doing STEAM at- activities, and they're trying to get their communities together. And absolutely, we do see that some camps would be able to go that route, but we're still hopeful that we can get kids outside, away from screens, and you know, help reopen the economy this coming summer 2020.
4: And speaking of the economy, money's tight for a lot of people and a lot of families have already prepaid for camp. So what about refunds for parents, whether or not camp is open this summer?
6: Yeah, so every camp does operate as their own, uh, you know, individual organization and business. So we definitely encourage families to contact camps if they haven't already heard from them. Most camps have been in contact with their families, letting them know what their policies are, talking to families about whether or not they want to roll over that money, whether or not they're going to be expecting refunds um, and all of that. But we are asking families to be patient. Let us see if we can if we can run. Um, A lot of camps are absolutely going to try and and uh, and create safe environments for children.
4: Susie, do you have any idea when you'll be able to make that decision?
6: We are very hopeful that in the next couple of weeks we are getting, you know, we're in May now and we do need to start making these decisions. We know that camps need to make these decisions soon. We know that families need to understand what their summers are going to look like. So we are hopeful that in the next two to three weeks we're going to be, you know, seeing a lot more guidance come down from the CDC. We're going to be seeing a lot more states open up and then we're going to be seeing the results of that. Um, And we are working, you know, with governors across the country to try to determine, okay, where does camp fit into these phases?
4: All right, Susie Lupert, we certainly wish you the best in all of that planning. We certainly appreciate your time today.
6: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
4: And coming up next right here, when we come back, Miss Tina is here or a.k.a. Beyonce's mom. She's talking about efforts to ramp up COVID-19 testing for people of color. And then on this Giving Tuesday, actor Kevin Bacon extending a helping hand to hungry families Caught in the coronavirus crisis.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special COVID 19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: Racial disparities are causing minority communities to suffer from the coronavirus at an alarming rate. And now there's a big movement to help raise awareness and get much needed help to those areas. The campaign is called I Did My Part and heading up the cause. Philanthropist and entrepreneur Tina Knowles Lawson. So great to have you with us, Miss Tina. I heard that's how you like to be called.
10: Sure. It's great to be here.
4: We're certainly appreciative uh, for you sharing your time with us because we know you're teaming up with your daughter, Beyonce, and her Be Good Charitable organization. You're extending a helping hand where so many don't have access to testing. So when you launch this weekend in Houston, what are you hoping will happen?
10: Well, actually, the tests have been going on for a while. United, um, United Memorial Hospital and two amazing doctors, Joe Gath and um, Joe Varone. And Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee have set up all these testing sites, at least four of them, in the communities. And what they shared with me is that when it first opened, they had a lot of people to come. And then it kind of dwindled. And so people are not getting tested. And Houston has the second lowest testing rate in the nation right now. You know, unfortunately, uh, according to the CDC, 337 percent of COVID patients are African-American, even though African-Americans only comprise 13% of the population and that 33% of all fatalities are African-Americans. So it's, it's, it's shocking and it's, it's very scary for me.
4: Yeah. And I know that's why this campaign is so important to you. And also Houston has a very special place in your heart, but you're also challenging other celebrities to make this effort widespread nationwide. Talk about some of the support you're getting from them as well.
10: I've talked to two celebrities. One is Tyler Perry, my friend, and uh, he was on board immediately uh, to do the same thing in Atlanta. And the idea is for him to challenge New Orleans and and then someone there challenges. I talked to one of my other friends yesterday, Octavia Spencer, and she was excited about the prospect of doing it in her hometown and in, in Mississippi. So I'm hoping that this will become a movement because. You know, what kept coming up for me in conversations is everyone has to do their part. Like, you know, if your part is, if you can do something big, great, if you can do something small, like pick up some groceries for an elderly neighbor, uh, go and put their trash cans down, or just even something as simple as getting tested so that you're not spreading this disease in your community. And we have a challenge because in our communities, Uh, We have to work, and I understand that, but uh, we also have a responsibility to find out our status so that we don't infect our our grandmothers and, uh, you know, those that that are most vulnerable so i did my part i got tested today we're giving people buttons so they can be proud that they got tested and hopefully pass the word on hopefully this will become a movement
4: what do you want to say do you you want to say something specifically to those groups in houston to encourage them to show up at your testing stations this weekend
10: just uh this weekend we're giving away cleaning supplies I've been adamant about getting disinfectants. And uh, so they get a whole bag of things, vitamins, which is so important, vitamin C and vitamin D. And, you know, when you are on a fixed income and you you can't afford vitamins. So we're trying to make that ongoing thing that we get vitamins for people. And part of it is education. Uh, just to educate them on how to take care of themselves and how to disinfect. And, you know, most of all, get tested. And if you are positive to, you know, quarantine yourself and stay away from people that you might affect. Uh, We also have HEB is coming in and partnering with, with Be Good and we're buying Uh, gift certificates for groceries. And so as much as we can give to the community, that's a big part of it as well.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. And we certainly hope that a lot of people take advantage of this incredible opportunity that you're giving to them. So thank you for all that you're doing. We certainly appreciate you. And thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. And we turn now to Dr. Jen Ashton for final thoughts.
5: Well, Amy, you know, we were hearing about all of the heroic work of healthcare workers. And a lot of times the nurses and the doctors are really the only ones that are profiled. But working in a hospital, I can tell you that there are hundreds and hundreds of people who never get their time in the spotlight. They never get recognized. There are billers, there are transporters, technicians, janitorial staff, food services, administrative staff. It takes truly a village to provide medical care that we see. And um, look, I'm the daughter of a retired registered nurse, come from an entirely medical family. So we know it is more important now than ever to recognize all the people behind the scenes that are keeping us healthy and putting themselves at risk, whether they're working in billing or transporting or directly caring for a patient. We appreciate all of them. We remember the
4: unsung heroes. For sure. Straight ahead, here on What You Need to Know on this Giving Tuesday, the familiar face lending a helping hand, bringing some much needed COVID relief. Kevin Bacon is here next.
0: This ABC News special, COVID 19, What You Need to Know continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID 19, What You Need to Know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
4: First, Kevin Bacon called for people to share on social media who they were staying home for. That campaign went viral, and now he is asking everyone to find their own rhythm and put their hands together for frontliners. And he is here right now to tell us all about it. Kevin, it's so great to have you with us. Thanks for being with us. And I know this initiative comes from your charity, Six Degrees. The campaign is called I Feed the Front. Tell us all about it.
11: It's a pretty uh, simple but great idea. With a small donation, you can provide a meal for a healthcare worker on the on the front lines. It works in two ways. One is that it gives um, those hard-working heroes some fuel and uh, a little bit of a, a break from the uh, very, very challenging work that they're doing. But it also supports local restaurants across the country, because uh, their employees are delivering the food, preparing the food. So it kind of works in both ways.
4: Yeah, you're helping uh, two different sets of people who need it the most. And I know you and your wife, the lovely Kira Sedgwick, you guys have shared some pretty fun videos to help raise awareness, to garner some support. Talk about why you're clapping for those who don't live in New York.
11: Well, you know, across the world, uh, we've seen this kind of beautiful uh, tradition that's grown for clapping for the uh, healthcare workers at, at at seven o'clock or eight o'clock, depending on where you are, which is the shift change. And it, it was such a fantastic thing and so moving to see. So I thought, is there a way to, you know, kind of extend that since, since you, um, you know, you can't eat a clap as as beautiful as it is. And uh, that's, that's where uh, I Feed the Front came. And we partnered with a couple of great organizations who had already had this this kind of idea in place so the idea is that you use the hashtag i feed the front and at seven o'clock you uh post a a, a video of you video of you doing some kind of clapping any kind of clapping you want it can be goofy it can be silly kira and i went through a bunch of um <laughs> songs that we like that have very distinct claps and tried to keep up with it so i'll be able to look at it based on the on the hashtag and see what you uh are doing
4: I love it. And uh, as we let you go, why don't we end with a message you want to send the frontliners with this campaign? What do you want them to hear?
11: You know, I wake up every day feeling grateful for them. I have a really, really uh, lucky situation in that I personally have food to eat. I have a roof over my head. I'm with the people that I love. And I don't have a job that puts me in harm's way. And I think that it's 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 really important that in whatever way we can, we let these people know that we are behind them, appreciating the work that they're doing, and uh, that we support them. And it's a tough time right now to ask anybody to really give. I think a lot of people are 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 struggling. I completely understand that. But a very small amount of my ten dollar donation gets somebody a, a meal, and sixdegrees.org is going to uh, match. Uh, up to $50,000. So that's going to be a lot of meals for a lot of people if, if uh, if we can raise a little bit of money.
4: Yeah, that's incredible. Kevin Bacon, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. And again, the campaign is called I Feed the Front.
11: Thank you very much.
4: And that's our program for today. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening.
11: ABC
0: News, honored, winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News, America's number one news choice.
9: A crisis like this can become a breeding ground for anxiety. Without the stability of our normal routine, the mind fills with the worst-case scenarios, what-ifs, and worries. If you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, you're not alone. During Mental Health Awareness Month, Talkspace is more committed than ever to helping you find support. Talkspace Online Therapy gives you 24-7 access to a licensed therapist from the comfort and safety of your own home. They have thousands of therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, and relationship issues, so you're sure to match with one who meets your needs and preferences. Once you're matched, you can start messaging with your therapist the very same day, as often as you need, anytime, from any device. Don't struggle alone. Let Talkspace help you build a dedicated support system so you can feel healthier and more empowered. Match with your therapist today and get $100 off your first month with promo code CALM. Sign up at Talkspace.com or download the app. That's Talkspace.com, promo code C-A-L-M.